0: And the other one is not having a really firm understanding of why you're doing it. Because it's going to be tough, it's going to take time, there are gonna be late nights and early mornings and interviews that you get all the way done with and you go, I can't publish this, it's just not, like, there's gonna be all of that. And if you don't know who you're serving and what transformation you want to see in their lives Mm -hmm. and what you want to see happen in the world, it's gonna be really, 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 really hard to keep going.
1: Welcome back to another week of Talking With Experts Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cowden, and this week I get to talk with Brian Etzminger about podcasting. We talk about what it takes to start a podcast, how to monetize a podcast, and why it's so important to collaborate with experts, plus so much more.
0: Yeah, so thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. About me, as far as getting started in podcasting, I started back in 2014, And while I like to think that I'm a quick start, the reality is I'm a bit of a slow start. So I had considered entering the podcasting space for a while. Um, When I was younger, uh, I had some experience with audio production, live sound, and then went to college to be a music teacher and did some audio production after college with music and things like that. So I thought, well, I've got the skills and I was happy with my job, but I kept feeling like there was something more. There was something more that I wanted to do and I wasn't sure what it was. And as I thought about what I could do, I enjoyed podcasts, but I thought, well, what would I talk about? I mean, I don't consider myself an expert in much of anything except maybe mediocrity. I don't know. And so (laughs) at at the time I thought, well, theres I I come from a faith background. And so when I was growing up, we used to always see missionaries coming to churches and sharing what, what had happened, what was going on. And I noticed that there was less and less of that happening. And I thought, well, maybe I can provide a space for them to do that, to increase the connections, share their story, to encourage the people that listen, that kind of stuff. And so that's kind of what got me into podcasting was that desire to create that connection point for for the missionaries.
1: Yes. And uh, were you were, would you say, because like myself, I'm quite um, a shy person, introverted, and... <laughs> I, w- I kind of want to do this to step out of my comfort zone and learn about myself and did have you did you have a massive transformation from starting your podcast to where you are now?
0: I would say in some ways yes. If you were to see me at a party, I would probably still be the person sitting in the corner, just kind of watching the crowd, hoping nobody yeah, hoping nobody notices me. So there's a bit of that, but i I definitely feel more comfortable connecting with people one on one or in a small group, especially, now people that i haven't met like you Mm -hmm. i feel fairly comfortable just talking to you and sharing my story because one of the things i've discovered is that for the most part people that are podcasters people that are wanting to do this they're wanting to highlight the good parts of our lives they Mm -hmm. you want for me to be an excellent guest because that makes your show great you don't want me to fail and that's and so that that also affected things like public speaking where i used to think you know everybody's out there watching for me to say um or that kind of thing and what i realized was that creates a terrible experience for them they don't actually want that they want me to do well they're not sitting there waiting like a reporter watching a, a politician waiting for me to say the wrong thing right yeah no, nobody cares about me that much and so i I think in that way there's a certain level of confidence it just comes from realizing at the at the worst nobody cares and at the best everybody wants you to do well because that's great for them too
1: yeah I, I think um I guess actually have you i think I was on a podcast the other day and uh joe was saying about um oh my goodness slipped my mind uh people want you to do the best oh yeah and the people that come onto your podcast they're there to support you because they want the best for you and you you might make a mistake and you might fail a little bit but that's part of the journey um and you said about failing just 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 a minute ago um it's okay to fail. It's great. You learn so much. What would you say have been the biggest lessons that you've learned from podcasting, but through failure?
0: I think one thing that I've learned, and it's something that I started to build into my process, is to ask for the feedback on the failures. Treat everything like a learning experience. So for an example, when I have people on the Engaging Missions show, which is currently on hiatus, I'm not producing right now, but um, about episode 30 or so, I started asking every person that came on the show, can I ask you a couple follow-up questions? Like one is, do you, is there anything that you said that needs to be cut out, right? So if, because some of them are dealing with people in sensitive situations, I need to make sure that that's, that's taken care of. But the other part is, as you think through our experience, what's something that could be better? Right. So booking, onboarding, preparation, hosting, all of those things. And it's not like I'm going, hey, tell me how good I am. I, I would actually repeat the question if they said, yeah, it was all great. I'm like, that's I appreciate that. I'm not looking for the accolades, because if you think it was great, that's because somebody else before told me that something could be better. And so mm-hmm. I really have tried to shift my mindset from being perfect out of the gate to doing the best that I can now and then saying, okay, what could be better next time? And I, I've now trying to apply that to my business as well. So for example, I put, in a, I, I put in a proposal to do some instructional videos for somebody. And one thing that I learned was that I underestimated the amount of time that it would take me, even though I've done videos, by about a th- factor of three or four. So now I know that next time I need to increase my price to make it mm. <laughs> worthwhile. Yeah. That doesn't mean I'm gonna turn out garbage for him, but that's, that's and it's just that constant iteration, constantly trying to improve.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I've only asked one person yet for feedback on the podcast, but I should definitely ask it more often because there's, there's a lot more uh, mistakes to be made and there's a lot more lessons to be learned.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and I would be, even go so far as to say, if, when you do that, see if you can dig something out of them. I mean, don't, you don't have to make them make something up. If it was great, that's fine. But getting those perspectives is, is really good because also sometimes it draws out the things they think you did really well. Mm. That you can go, okay, well, that seems to be a strength or a trend that I'm seeing. Maybe that's a part of who I am that I can double down on and use that to shine better.
1: Yes. And I think that's an important element, especially if someone's trying to grow or scale mm-hmm. their business. They need to constantly find ways that they can improve and improve the quality or increase the value for their customers. How do you? Why do you think podcasting is so essential for... Um, increasing the value of your business or does does having a podcast increase the value to your customers
0: I would say that having a podcast can increase the value but it all depends on uh, it depends on that intersection between the the podcast and the business and then your your marketplace right so mm-hmm. as an example if you are a roofer and your primary marketplace is homeowners and you wanna do a podcast about roofing techniques, that's probably not going to add value to your market. It's going to establish you within the broader community, Mm -hmm. but your market's probably not looking for what are the best nails to use for shingles. If, however, your podcast was something along the lines of how to know that it's time to clean your gutters or three things you can do this summer to make your roof last longer, like that kind of thing, that has a potential to start reaching your market. now. Roofing is a fairly local market, so I'm not saying that somebody should go out and place that, but I, there's that intersection between what you do with your business and what your ideal listener or client is looking for. Mm-hmm. And if you can find that and deliver it in a way that's engaging and entertaining and informative and all of that stuff, then the value th- I think that adds is not only attracting people to your business, but also helping them know your personality, understand that you're a person, or if you're part of a business ownership team, that, you know, you, that you're a real person. You're not just a logo and a website with five guys that come out and, you know, do the thing and then leave, right? It really established.
1: So I want to know more about your podcasting history. So um, I, I don't know which one you started first, but mm-hmm. maybe talk about your one of your first podcast, then let's go from there.
0: Yeah. So the first podcast I launched was the Engaging Missions show. It's run for, I think, 276 or 277 episodes. Now, all of those aren't live anymore because I had a few where the the life situation of the person I interviewed had changed and they had to have it taken down for security reasons or that kind of thing, so they're not all published. But like, if you wanna talk journey, I still have episode one up there and if you wanna have a good laugh and see how bad things can be, uh, totally go visit that one because I started, I started with a logitech headset. One of those, uh, it was terrible. Like some podcasting guru that I'm not going to name had recommended this headset as a budget way to get started. And that person, like I will probably never buy or listen to that person again because it was so bad. Now to be fair, what it did was it got me started and it was getting started that really helped and what I've discovered about me at least is that, um, it's not just doing a thing but it's doing a thing in public with the opportunity for public failure that drives continuous improvement mm-hmm. and so I think that that definitely helped I started with what I would call kind of a, a an original John Lee Dumas style podcast where I had the same questions for every guest and the reason was because I work full-time and I I wanted to launch a podcast and I didn't have any idea how to research a guest I had and I knew that I didn't and I also knew that I didn't have time to go now what should I ask this person so I ran for probably 75 100 episodes basically using that same format you know tell me about yourself tell me about what you're doing and like uh, even with a variation on the lightning rod, like all of that (laughs) now it sounds ridiculous but that's what got me started and then after I got into it I started realizing you know I feel like there's more here in some of these answers than what I've asked maybe if I pause and say hey I'd like to take that one a little bit further or that brought up another idea and so that that started to engage my curiosity Mm. and also about that time I started uh, listening to podcast engineering school with Chris Curran and I started realizing that there was a huge gap between the audio quality that I was producing and the audio quality that was possible and so then I started focusing on that I actually brought in an editor uh, Mm -hmm. to edit my show, and he did that for two or three years. Even while I was editing for clients, he was still editing my show because what that did was it not only brought in somebody to take some of that work, but he also had a perspective to offer, and he also, because he was there, that allowed me to focus on the content and not over obsessing on how the EQ on my voice was, right? Because when I got the file back from him, unless something was radically wrong, which was, almost never the case unless he was doing it at like four in the morning so I could publish at five. Like it was never the case. And so that that really helped me to grow. And um, and then I also brought in somebody for a while to help write the episode notes so that I was getting another person's perspective because I thought, you know, I've got a little bit of money that I can spend because there was some related work that I was doing. Do I want to invest in a team or do I want to invest in software? Because at this point, I've I've got to do something. And at that point, I, I invested in the team. Now I've also invested in software and I'm pretty close to a team of one, but that's uh, that's changing. I, I've brought another editor in who's doing a little bit of work for me and I think that we're going to continue expanding my team to offer more services.
1: Yeah, so what I heard there was modeling success, mod- modeling what's what somebody else is doing right, mm-hmm. and then also um, leveraging somebody else's expertise. Definitely. Yeah. So, so having a team is crucial in in any business but also especially in podcasting
0: i think it can be Uh, i I think that it gives you the opportunity to grow faster and really just having that built-in feedback because when when you're producing audio for people and your editor comes back and says you realize that you you did this part wrong on your own show you can very quickly change that for your clients as well (laughs)
1: If you didn't have a team and if you were doing it on your own, what would what are like the best practices for somebody that might not have the budget to invest in somebody in the first season?
0: Yeah, that's that's a really good question. I would say that if you can find some software that works well with for you. So, I started with GarageBand, which I would not recommend for editing podcasts, not because it's a bad program, but because it's not optimized for dialogue. And so, it's it, my experience with it may have changed, but it's like cut, cut, delete, move, cut, cut. like, And it, it takes like four times as long to edit. So I, I use Hindenburg now, which is built for dialogue first. Um, if you can afford it, I would say go for something like that and then think through how you want the process to work as best you can from start to finish so that at every step you're setting yourself up for success in the next step so that you're not having to go back and do... To rework something, uh, and I I don't have a great example of that, but that that would be one thing. And then just realize that there is an inverse relationship between the amount of time you spend preparing or practicing or getting your show ready to go, and how much time it takes to edit on the end. Because if you walk into a show flying by the seat of your pants, and what you're looking for is a fully polished narrative style podcast is going to take you a long time Mm. to turn what you recorded into something you want to publish.
1: Yeah, at the moment for season one, it's more about me learning as I go. Mm -hmm. And I'm getting help from Phil better. So yeah, he knows, he knows his stuff. Um, And also just taking imperfect action and seeing where it leads and then doing my tweaks for season two, and season three and beyond. Um, Yeah, getting better guests on. I'm not saying you're not a good guest. I'm just saying, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying well, <laughs> growing scale and growing scale with the, you know, who knows? Uh, uh, somebody said you can get Dean Graziosi on or um, Todd Brown and so, some of the massive marketing legends on, then that'd be great. Wouldn't it? But, yeah. Um, one step at a time and taking imperfect perfect action and learning as you go. I'm growing a lot in confidence and, uh, you know, I have had or I am experiencing imposter syndrome but you know <laughs> like Phil said you're, you're not coming you're you're not the expert you're interviewing experts so that's right so there's nothing really to worry about you're you're learning you're in the learning stage mm-hmm. and you're, you're you're helping other people shorten their learning curve which is uh, like a hats off to you but he couldn't take his hat off because he didn't have a hat on but uh, (laughs) so so what would you say uh, because you kind of mentioned the tools of the trade there um, what mistakes could you help somebody not make in the podcasting world
0: I, I think the biggest mistake that I see people make is trying to skip the learning curve and start at the end right and so I know that held me up for several months trying to think, and and it's not bad to try and think through it and to have a well-developed plan, but you have to realize that if you record your first episode and it sounds bad, one, you don't necessarily have to publish it, but two, at some point, if you keep re-recording and never publishing, you're going to not get better. And so I would say that the, the biggest things probably two things I see. One is that one. And the other one is not having a really firm understanding of why you're doing it, because it's going to be tough. It's going to take time. There are going to be late nights and early mornings and interviews that you get all the way done with and you go, I can't publish this. It's just not like there's going to be all of that. And if you don't know who you're serving and what transformation you want to see in their lives, Mm-hmm. and what you want to see happen in the world, it's going to be really, 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 really hard to keep going. And I think that's a lot of why we see so many podcasts that never get beyond episode six or episode seven. We've it, There's two and a quarter-ish million podcasts in the Apple Podcast Directory. Only 450,000 of those have at least 10 episodes and have published anything in the last 90 days. Now, some of those were intentionally short-run shows. But a huge number of those are shows with one or two episodes where they got into it and said, never mind, this is too hard. And if you're just getting into it because you think it's going to be fun and you don't have a group of people that you really want to serve, that you think that what you do is going to matter to them, it's going to be really hard because, you know, it's like wanting to lose weight and liking tacos. So I, I want both, but most of the time I like tacos more than I like losing yeah. weight. And the same thing will happen with your show.
1: Yeah, it's not. It's not the, like, you can have motivation, but it's gotta go deeper than that. What 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 yeah. is the why? And, um, but, so I know you were talking there. Um, what's the right way to go about things then?
0: I think what I would recommend, and it sounds like this is something that you've done. It, obviously you have a, a pretty good why, because you're doing it. The next thing is find somebody that you can trust and listen to that person, and don't go out to Facebook groups or LinkedIn groups or wherever and ask everybody, what's the best microphone? If you found somebody you can trust, trust that person until you get your show launched and until you get your feet under you, and until you feel like you know enough to understand the people that look at your question and just say, this is another opportunity for me for me to say my favorite microphone or my favorite hosting service or the one that I work for or such and such is bad. Because you're gonna have, like, if you go into like the podcast movement, Facebook group, a huge group, like 20 some odd thousand people, and you say what's the best microphone, you're gonna get 200 different responses, mm-hmm. and probably two of them will say, well, first I need to know about how many people are on your show, and what's your recording environment like, what's your budget, because the best mi- microphone for you is the one that's the best for your environment, for your the number of people, and the budget, because you know, Neumann, TLM-103 is like a $1,000, great microphone. But if your budget is 70 bucks, it's not the right microphone for you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm i just with the uh, Blue Yeti. Uh... Mm-hmm.
0: And kudos to you for finding Phil and allowing him to guide you through the process, right? Because he's done this multiple times. He's launched several shows over the last year. Guy knows what he's doing, right? So it's not like you have to constantly go out and say, what should, what's the next step? He knows the next step. And all you have to say is, tell me what to do now
1: yes exactly and he said uh chris i am busy but just schedule a time when you can when you're free and let's book in a call and he just runs through a few things this is how you write the show notes this is how you do this this is a- over delivering and we felt mm-hmm. we formed a really good relationship he he was my second episode and then he said i can get you this guest i can get you this guest As- as this as this and it's really helpful for somebody who's a beginner that doesn't like at the start i didn't have much confidence but now i'm starting to see really great guests including yourself coming on <laughs> and uh i'm surprised that well i'm glad that i didn't stop at episode three or episode four and i'm now up to um 29 or 30. oh wow
0: you're almost an old timer uh,
1: so i haven't even I go live on June the first. I believe this episode, okay. will, I believe this episode will be dropping in ooh, September or October sometime. Okay. Um, and I was actually compared to John Lee Dumas by another guest for. Oh, really? Storing podcasts up. <laughs> oh, but, that.
0: I mean, that's another huge tip, though, right? So, if, with with the engaging missions show. Once I sort of got my feet under me, I always tried to make sure that I had between four and eight episodes recorded and ready to go because guest bookings are lumpy. Mm -hmm. They don't all happen one a week, even if you release one a week. And so if you have the opportunity to get four or six or eight ahead, then that works for you. For me, if I got past 12, it was too hard for the people I interviewed to remember that their show was coming up. And so it sort of lost some of that momentum. But there is a sweet spot there. And I Mm -hmm. think that's a great thing to do.
1: Do you think, I know I'm not going to jump ahead and do podcasting for a living, but do you think there is potential for somebody to have a very successful podcast and do it for the rest of their life as a full-time oh, income?
0: Absolutely, there are there are people that do that now.
1: Um, That's the dog. So if you don't know, we was having a pre-chat about a dog, <laughs> the Brian's family have just been out to pick strawberries. Or again. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Sorry about that. What, what was the question? I got distracted. You, uh,
1: I was talking about monetizing a podcast or having a full-time income as a podcaster.
0: So I would say that the answer is yes, kind of. So there are clearly people that currently do that. For example, all of the people that have a show for NPR or Gimlet Media, they're clearly making a full-time living for them and their team doing a podcast now that doesn't mean that the revenue comes entirely from the podcast there's but there's different methods to make money at dave jackson recently wrote a book on that and i haven't read it yet but like it's essentially you know if you if you have a podcast you're not going to make a money unless you're selling something right and that's that's the basic principle you're, you're not going to make money at anything unless you're selling something and so the question is what can you sell that your podcast could help support. So one of them would be if you're really good at engaging a large number of very diverse people, maybe branded advertising would be worthwhile. If you're Mm -hmm. growing a niche audience around something that you can do or provide or some products that you're aware of, maybe there's an opportunity to sell your stuff or somebody else's stuff through affiliate marketing or something like that. So I, I would say that the answer is yes, but it takes a really strong plan to do it and it's not going to be the, the gold rush of the 1840s that everybody thought podcasting was going to be where you start a show and two months later you've got a million listeners and, I don't know, Purple Mattresses is calling you up asking to advertise on your show. That's not, it's not going to be that. Landing clients, landing customers, landing advertisers also takes focused effort. And so you have to realize that you're not just running a podcast. You're running a, biz, a business And the podcast may may or may not be the focal point of that business but you've got to run them both
1: yes and i think it's important to try to monetize your podcast because you're spending or you're investing a lot of time into it so uh, there and there is value shared in them that there are direct questions being asked Mm -hmm. and if just one person uh, gets value from this then they might reach out to you for podcast editing services. They might reach out to me for video editing services. Who knows? But I think that's, it's important to monetize because you've got to value your time in some way or another. Um, And you, you said advertising. I have um, somebody coming along who's raising some money for charity Mm -hmm. to, to maybe help him become a sponsor for the podcast. I'm not, I'm not sure if that will become of anything, but, um, Did you say advertising, affiliate marketing? Are there any other ways that you could monetize a podcast that you're, you know that not many people are using?
0: The, the biggest opportunity with possibly the quickest win, and I don't see a lot of this, is selling something that you do. So building an audience by providing value that relates to an, an offer that you can offer them. That's probably something that I don't see a ton Mm -hmm. of, and I think that's the one that has the most direct connection, because as an audience member, your connection is to the host. The guests are great if you have guests, but the guests don't get you to stay. The guests might get you in the door, or they might not, but it's really the host and the content of the show that keeps you coming. And so if you're developing that relationship with people, and you offer something that so if you're developing that relationship with people and you offer something that they want, that's related to your show, then that increases the probability that they're going to buy from you. Now, is it going to be everybody? No. Will you get make a full-time living? Maybe not, but maybe it'll pay for the show or maybe mm. it'll pay for the show plus a couple of meals out with the family or whatever, right? And that's still a win, right? Because yeah. you're serving potentially hundreds of people. I mean, when was the last time you had a, a party at your house and you had 200 people standing around in your backyard going, I'd like to listen to this guy talk. But the reality is that could be happening with your show, and, you know, there, there's some opportunity there. I think the one thing that I see too many people trying to do is either getting advertising early on mm. or trying to put in some kind of paywall where they maybe they've got 50 downloads per episode and they're thinking, well, I should probably start a Patreon so these people can, like... You're lucky if you get 1% of people to yeah. support you on Patreon. So yeah, yeah. leave that one behind.
1: <laughs> so I think it's not jumping the gun, just going Definitely. at your own pace and offer only if it's valuable to the listeners and on that particular thing. Thank you so much for your time, Brian, today. Um, it was it was really great to learn more about podcasting with you and uh, how to monetize and yep. Yeah. Um, all the mistakes that I don't, well, that I do want to make, but thanks for making some of them a little bit clearer so that I don't make them. <laughs> 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 Showing myself a bit of a hole. Okay, so I yeah. want to leave on a bit of a, a random question, uh, but if you could, this is just so that I can get to know you more as a person, but if you could eat with anyone in the world from any place in the world, what, who would you, who would you meet, where would you go, and what would you cook them?
0: I think I don't have a great answer for this. I I think it's not a meet, but maybe meeting a need. For a long time, my wife has wanted me to take her to Venice, and that hasn't happened yet, so I wouldn't be necessarily meeting my wife at Venice, but I would like to take her there. I don't know that I would cook anything because I'm not a particularly good cook, but I think that would be a nice thing that I would be able to do and certainly a great memory.
1: Yes, and I'm sure it would win you a lot of brownie points.
0: That, that would be good too.
1: Thank you, Brian, for joining me this week on Talking With Experts and for giving me and my listeners a different perspective on podcasting. If you want to get another opinion, make sure to listen to episode two again with Feel Better, the podcast mogul. But for now, enjoy the rest of your day and I'll see you next week.